Uh, I, I go back to watch the video after the class to catch my own errors, uh, and occasionally I'll have a, uh, someone bring an error to my attention, which, uh, which is always a good thing and, a very, like I said, a very important part of the process. Um, but last week, I now when Melissa and I first became Christians back in 1988, uh, myself and then her in October and November, respectively, uh, the first... The, so the the preacher of the congregation where we were baptized, North Tenth and Treadway Congregation in Abilene, Texas, he pulled us aside and took us into a little room, and and that was our Bible class. Was him and she and I, and it was uh, basic principles of Christianity, and we learned a whole lot real fast from Floyd Miller at the North Tenth and Treadway congregation the first verse he told us to go home and memorize he said go home and memorize first corinthians chapter 10 verse 13 because now that the lord's got you satan wants you back more than ever and he said so this one's going to help you out first corinthians chapter 10 verse 13 you'll note that i'm turning to it i'm not trying to quote it even though it was the first bible memory verse that that uh, And the reason for that is, when I went back and watched the video of myself teaching the class last week, I misquoted this verse. Uh, and, and one missing word. Remember, that's how Satan, that's how Satan got Eve, right? Uh, when, when he tempted her in the garden. And that's how he attempted to get Jesus, uh, by quoting scripture, and then it was just be off by one word, right? And so last week, I attempted in the... In the flow of my lesson, I referred to 1 Corinthians 10, 13, and I misquoted it there. And, and it's okay to paraphrase, but even, even if I had been paraphrasing this, I was off by one word that was very, very important and could lead some astray. So 1 Corinthians 10, 13, and, and like I told you, I'm using the New King James here. It says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may, that you may be able to bear it. Uh, and so that's the New King James Version. But see, it says here, God will not allow you to be tempted above that you're able. And what I said last week was God will not tempt you above that you're able. And here's what's wrong with that. If you look at uh, uh, James 1 and 13, I'm going to read that one too. Hebrew. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. God does not tempt anyone. So very important to point that out. Correction from last week, so I want to take care of that up front. Um, and so in the book of Nahum, um, and so uh, a quick note on the importance of the prophets uh, and the lessons for us and their application, and I do like to focus on application. I believe that agape love, the, the love that we're expected to have for one another as brethren, is results-oriented. It's focused on the eternal salvation of the soul, right? And so as we're loving one another with that agape love, we have eternity in mind. 
the desire that that we we live our lives in such a, a way faithfully now that we will be together for all of eternity uh, and i so i kind of you know you you kind of pull that back and you look at everything that we do as christians and it's all results oriented that way everything that we do uh in particular the lessons that we that we listen to here uh tony's sermons the lessons we share with one another our own bible study outside of here uh it's all focused on the same thing that the agape love is focused on, the eternal uh, home of the soul in heaven. And so uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, since we, we do want to focus this quarter on the application of uh, the lessons from the prophets to ourselves now, because remember in Ephesians chapter 4 where we said he gave some to be this, that, and the other. He gave some to be prophets is one of the things mentioned there, and it says it's for the building up and edifying of the church. Uh, so make sure you go back uh, at least weekly and read Ephesians 4 again and understand you know, why the prophets are beneficial for us in, in that way now. We'll figure this out as we go along. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and this is, this is how I see the Old Testament. Anytime I'm studying or reading or even listening to a lesson from the Old Testament, if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, where we just were reading verse 13, if you back up, I'm going to start in verse 1 where it says, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased. Uh-oh, this kind of just went south, didn't it? But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. When, I, when, when something goes a little negative, when I'm reading along in the Scripture, my ears do this. I'm like, oh... Man, I need to hear this. And here's why. Verse 6. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. So uh, when I read the Old Testament, uh, this is what I have in mind, that these things became our examples. And then you go down in verse 11. And it repeats there, it says, Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So we'll look at the book of Nahum a little bit uh, after a very brief review of Jonah, because those two are strongly connected. Uh, And then at the end of our discussion on Nahum, our examination of Nahum, we'll we'll talk about uh, its application to us today, because there certainly is one. And so, you know, uh, we, we get frustrated when, you know, it's, we're, we're accustomed to, uh, to our forms of entertainment. We like to watch a good movie and we like a happy ending. We like everything to work out well in the end where they build up a whole lot of tension with some things that are going wrong and, oh, they're just not going to make it and everything's just going to, this is going to end terribly and then something happens and then it ends well, right? Well, that is not the case uh, for uh, Nineveh. And, you know, we're so disappointed after we read Jonah and, and they were spared to find out that uh, a little more than a hundred years later, they had gone south and, uh, 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 that, that, uh, just didn't work out for them. 
So backing up to the book of Jonah just briefly, and we're not going to go through the whole thing. The book of Jonah starts out in verse 1, says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, and, and we're doing this because I know it's been probably a couple of years, I think, since we studied the book of Jonah and the progression of, of how we have the prophets lined up in our studies. Verse 1 says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. And so, you know, we were talking about Moses last week, and maybe it sounded like I was being a little bit critical of Moses with the but, 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 where God told him, you're going to go, and you're going to be my voice, and, and you're going to be the prophet, you're going to free my people, and Moses was like, but, and had a whole bunch of excuses to get out of it, and ultimately God said, where's Aaron, right? Well, you know, maybe we were, I'm sorry, maybe I was a little too critical of Moses because here where it says uh, he's uh, commanding Jonah to go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry out against it. Now, uh, so put yourself in Jonah's shoes, right? Uh, God comes to you in some form of a message uh, tonight and tells you that starting tomorrow you're going to cry out against the great city of Anchorage. Not post signs on lampposts, not put, say things on Facebook, not, uh, you know, go around and whisper some messages to some key people that you hope will carry the message forward, right? But to cry out against a great city and think about how you would accomplish that. Well, you know, uh, God, God, you know, and, and all the plan of salvation and, and the examples we have in Scripture is uh, from people talking to each other, communicating vocally. And it sounds like that's what God expected Jonah to do here. Uh, so uh, it might not be too difficult for us to imagine ourselves being reluctant, but, 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 like Moses did. But Jonah was told to cry out. And then, of course, uh, he tried to get away from God. He didn't want that responsibility. So, you know, he got on the boat, and then the sea became uh, tumultuous. Uh, it's, uh, uh, and, and then they, the men found out that, that he was on the boat and trying to hide from God, so they threw him off, and God brought along a great fish. Uh, in uh, chapter, or chapter 1, verse 17, it says, Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And there in the belly, Jonah prayed to the Lord, and so anyway, we get down to chapter 3 and verse 1 where it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent to get across it, right, on foot. And so if if you uh, leave here after worship service this morning and start work, walking and keep going for three days, you're going to get pretty far, right? So this is a really big city. And then, of course, at the very end of it, down in the end, uh, in, verse, in uh, chapter 4 and verse 11, again, Nineveh is referred to as a great city in which are more than 120,000 persons. Um, but backing up to chapter 3 and verse 10, uh, so Jonah is preaching to Nineveh, and then in verse 10 it says, Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. And of course, Jonah didn't like that, right? And so this, this is Nineveh 
a little more than estimates put it at a little more than 100 years before what we're going to read about uh, in the book of Nahum. So moving forward to Nahum here. And so you have to stop and think about what happened in that period of time, in 100 years. Uh, A little more than 100 years. But 100 years uh, seems like a long time to us. Uh, But, uh, you know, I'm more than halfway there. And uh, I've got a grandmother in San Antonio who, in July, Lord willing, she'll turn 102. This is her second pandemic, right? Uh, And so to talk to her, 100 years doesn't necessarily seem like it's all that long, you know? Um, But um, so what can happen in in 100 years where... uh, where a people who have been spared by God, and you know, you would think that that, that story would kind of hang around for uh, that the the sharing of that event. Hey, you know, when when my grandparents were kids, this crazy prophet came through, and then we found out the guy was legit, and then uh, he preached this message and told us to repent, and so we examined ourselves and said, yeah. Uh, we could there, there's room for improvement here so we repented and sackcloth and ashes and the whole city repented together and the God who we knew was going to destroy us relented and decided not to he spared us and and you wouldn't you think that they would be sharing that account uh, for at least a hundred years I mean we're still reading about it so what happened and so that's what we think about in our application of this experience with the city of Nineveh. Uh, that's what we think about in applying this to our own lives. What happened? Uh, and for me, I remember, and I think I mentioned it last week, or maybe the week before, I get my weeks mixed up, where I remember how I felt when I was first baptized, when I first learned the message. And then occasionally throughout my walk, which has been more than 30 years now, I'll stop and I'll meditate and try very hard to remember how that felt and why it felt that way and what I found myself doing with that message. And then I look at myself now and I say, okay, where am I now and what happened? <laughs> it's usually a what happened, right? And so that's that's one important way to, to apply that. So... Um, so before we get into the first chapter of Nahum, I want to back up and I want to read... Uh, So I'm going to go to First Chronicles, and you're welcome to just listen. I'm going to try to read it as accurately as I can. But see, one of the benefits of reading and studying the Old Testament is we learn about the essence, about, uh, for the lack of a better term, the personality of God, because God doesn't change. People say, well, uh, you know, I'm a New Testament Christian. I worship the God of the New Testament. No, no, no. There's one God. He's the same God through every testamental period uh, and God is God and and he's not going to change right he might occasionally change his mind like he did with Nineveh uh, but God doesn't change so that's why it's important for us to study the Old Testament and to talk about it with our families and to, to understand the nature and the essence and the personality of God um because it's the same God. 
So before worship, uh, when, when I am uh, at home, uh, sometimes during the week, always on Saturday, and definitely Sunday morning as we approach the time of our assembly, right, like we're told to do, and all the day, all the more as you see the day approaching there in Hebrews 10, um, I'll read certain scriptures that, that help me prepare my heart and mind for true worship, right? Uh, the kind of worship that Jesus talked to the woman at the well about. The day is coming when those who worship me will worship in spirit and truth. And so that's a very important part of our mindset, of our heart set. When we come in here, we have the opening prayer, and we are officially entered into worship, and we worship our God. So I'm going to read from First Chronicles 16, because this is one of the things I read often to help prepare me for that. So the, this is about the ark when the, when the ark is placed in the tabernacle. On that day, David first delivered this psalm into the hand of Asaph and his brethren to thank the Lord. O oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing psalms to him. Talk of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his face evermore. Remember his marvelous works which he has done, his wonders and the judgments of his mouth. O seed of Israel, his servant, you children of Jacob, his chosen ones. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. Remember his covenant forever, the word which he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant which he made with Abraham and his oath to Isaac and confirmed it to Jacob for a statute. To Israel for an everlasting covenant, saying, To you I will give the land of Canaan as the allotment of your inheritance when you were few in number, indeed very few, and strangers in it. When they went from one nation to another and from one kingdom to another people, he permitted no man to do them wrong. Yes, he rebuked kings for their sakes, saying, Do not touch my anointed ones and do my prophets no harm. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his wonders among the peoples. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is also to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and gladness are in his place. Give to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Give to the Lord glory and strength. Give to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Oh, worship the Lord 
in the beauty of holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth. The world also is firmly established. It shall not be moved. Let the heavens rejoice, and let the earth be glad, and let them say among the nations, The Lord reigns. And there are other passages, too, that I will read before worship. We'll look at a couple more of those here in a moment. Uh, But we need to teach this attitude to our children. Because Nineveh failed to do that. You know, the first scripture that came to mind when, when, I, when I, the first time I studied Nineveh was uh, in Proverbs where it says, bring up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And so it's easy to look at a city like Nineveh and blame parents and say, well, this is obviously parents. The children make their own decisions. Free moral agency, we call that. Parents make their own decisions. There are parents who will decide to firmly bring up their children in the Lord with uh, a realistic and accurate understanding of the essence and personality of God. And then there are parents who will get too busy. Uh, you know, where, where the scripture tells us there in, in uh, Corinthians to examine yourselves to, to, uh, to see if you're in the faith. And we do that constantly with this as our standard. Um, and those are the things that we have to think about as parents, but we can't really blame the whole thing on the parents for not passing, passing things down to the next generation, right? Uh, because um, you could do, uh, you know, I used to be a, uh, uh, when the Air Force was real big on teams, and the eight years I spent teaching at the academy, uh, we trained people to be facilitators for teams, and we trained people to be professional mediators when that was necessary, Right. And so uh, uh, we, we had all these fancy tools that we use, like a, a crossways matrix and an uh, interrelationship diagraph and, uh, and, and some really cool tools that occasionally I'll get up and, and use in a meeting and just impress everybody and then sit back down. <laughs> but, but there's some really excellent data analysis and some decision-making tools and all this stuff. And so, you know, if I could use all of those tools to examine what went wrong and Nineveh, it would involve a lot more than just parents not passing on information to children, right? Um, it just—it would just be a lot deeper than that. But we're gonna—we're gonna let the Bible tell us what went wrong there. So, so we just read there from Chronicles, uh, and man, was it not beautiful? Was that not a beautiful description of God and His work? with mankind, his redemptive work in the history of of mankind, which he created for himself, to be with him for all of eternity. And I thought it was important to read that first, because now we're going to read the first chapter of Nahum, and I'm going to start with verse 1, where it says, The burden against Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum, the Elkishite. And a little title that uh, my that they put in my Bible over this section says, God's wrath on his enemies. So, so note the contrast between this and what we read in the Chronicles a minute ago. God is jealous and the Lord avenges. The Lord avenges and is furious 
The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries. And he reserves wrath for his enemies. We read about that in Second, Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7 through 10 last week. When the Lord returns, he will in flaming fire take vengeance on them who know not God and who obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Same God, Old Testament, New Testament. In verse 3, the Lord is slow to anger. A hundred years, over a hundred years in this case, right? The Lord is slow to anger and great in power and will not at all acquit the wicked. The Lord has his way in the whirlwind and in the storm and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry and dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither and the flower of Lebanon wilts. The mountains quake before him. The hills melt and the earth heaves at his presence. Yes, the world and all who dwell in it. Who can stand before his indignation, and who can endure the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire, and the rocks are thrown down by him. So, contrast uh, what we just read in First uh, First Chronicles with this passage, and other passages like this. Uh, you know, there are lists in the New Testament that tell us, "Put on this and be this way." Right? Uh, we have the uh, uh, the Beatitudes, we have the uh, the fruit of the Spirit, add to this, that, and the other, and all these good things, and then think about what is beautiful, and all this stuff, and then we find lists of things not to do, where it says, like, lay aside all malice, all guile, all hypocrisy, envy, and evil speaking, and then the list goes on and on and on about negative and unacceptable behaviors, drunkenness, orgies, homosexuality effeminate there are behaviors that we're told not to exhibit so there are lists throughout the new testament of good and bad of acceptable and unacceptable behaviors and as we learn about the essence and the personality of god in the old testament we find uh different different types of uh, messages for us that we need to heed so up in verse 2 of chapter 1, it says, God is jealous. He is zealous to uphold a righteous standard. And he gets jealous when that standard is lowered and another standard is embraced. The Lord avenges, he's furious. And there in verse 2, it says, he will take vengeance on his adversaries. So that application to us, one of many. Let's look at Romans chapter 1 for a moment here. Romans chapter 1. Not a chapter that I would read to my grandchildren right now. Right? Because, uh, you know, Levi, he's 8 now, just turned 8. And man, you got to be careful what topics you bring up around him because he is hanging on every word. And then... He'll ask, what's that? What are you talking about? And it's like, oh, I forgot you were there. And you're talking about some of the contemporary issues that we're having to deal with as Christians, and they're not all f for his ears, right? Uh, and so Romans chapter 1 is one of those things. So in Romans chapter 1, um, and, you know, you got to start with verse 16 where it says, for, for I am not ashamed. And so anytime you see four, a sentence that begins with four, got to back up and see what came before it. So in verse 15 he had said, 
I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. So I'm ready to preach the gospel. That's the before thing. So in verse 16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek, for in it, the gospel of Christ, in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And then in the very next verse, Verse 18, he goes on, and a little hitting they put in here, my Bible says, God's wrath on unrighteousness. So it goes through, uh, presents us with a couple of those kind of lists and some unacceptable behaviors, right? And it starts off here, for, again, so you back up and you say, well, what we just read, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because in it the righteousness of God is revealed, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. So basically, the people that are engaging in these behaviors are without excuse, which causes me to turn my eyes around and say, what behaviors am I engaging in that might be unacceptable to God? Then I'll consider the behaviors of others. You know, the plank in the eye, right? You got to get it out of there before you uh, try to save someone else's soul or to help help God do that. So, um, so I'm going to jump forward to verse 26, and then we'll back up and look backwards a little bit. But in verse 26, he goes on to say, "Well, I'll start with 24. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature." rather than a creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge... Does that sound like what happened in Nineveh? Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, and that causes me to think about my week, because when we're together here, all of us, it's easy for me to be real good, right? But then I go back out into the world. I'm not of the world, but I'm in it. The rest of the week when I'm not with you, do I retain God in my knowledge? Every step of the way. God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fit and being filled with all unrighteousness. So here comes a list. So when we see a list, it's an opportunity for us to examine ourselves. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, malice... uh, is the intent to do harm to another. Any form of it. Any form of an intention to do harm to another. Right? Full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things. There's a whole lot of that going on right now. Inventing evil things. Just like just when you think you have heard it all, 
something crazier than that and more evil is presented. And that's the world we live in. Disobedient to parents. Undiscerning. That's a scary one. Undiscerning. Okay, remember Hebrews chapter 5 where we talk about uh, the application of the very oracles of God and the use to discern the difference between good and evil. Right? The word of God is our standard. It is the word of God, the very oracles of God, the word of righteousness that it calls there in Hebrews chapter 5 is that, that we apply. And by reason of use, we apply the word of God to every situation in our lives. And then we will not be undiscerning, like it says here. Untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, and unmerciful. There's a couple scary ones there too. Unforgiving. Do you know what it feels like to not be forgiven after you've repented? Or someone that you've asked to forgive you? Have you ever felt that? Then think about the people that you need to forgive, right? How do you know someone hasn't forgiven you? You're made to feel it when you approach them. I know that because I've done it. You know? You hold on to something. You hold back that forgiveness. And then when that person who hurt you and then asked for your forgiveness, well, you know, you really hurt me and I kind of doubt the sincerity of your, your request for me to forgive you, just forgive them. Because it says here in this list of unacceptable behaviors that will be condemned by God that being unloving, unforgiving, and unmerciful, they're on the list here. Ooh, man, that makes you think. Got some things to meditate about, Right? who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same... Uh Uh-oh. Now, this next part is the scariest part of the whole first chapter of Romans because it says, but also approve of those who practice them. Mm. So, talking about some backbiters, whisperers, undiscerning, unforgiving, unmerciful, especially the backbiting and the whispering. They come to me, they backbiting somebody, and I do not stop them or point that out to them. I just let it flow. And maybe I'll even repeat the, be- the best parts of it, right? Um, I'm approving of those who practice them. And, and one, one uh, version I read says, uh, gives hearty approval to those who practice. And you've got to back up, back up and look at the whole first chapter of Romans about sexual immorality, about homosexuality, about all the things that that God talks about that and everywhere else in the Bible because you're applying a principle here to things that are unacceptable to God. That which God is opposed to, that which God abhors, we must also, and that's where we stand. Um, We live and work in a society where, where we're being... Uh, there, there is much effort put in, putting into forcing us out of this mindset and to go along with, uh, like it says here, they, they're inventing, inventors of evil things that you're expected to go along with. And other things that were discussed right here in the first chapter of Romans. Um, so Nahum uh, went in to preach to Nineveh. Um, 
And there's a little bit of light coming in chapter in verse 7 here in chapter 1 back in Nahum where it says, The Lord is good. A stronghold or a refuge in the day of trouble. And he knows those who trust in him. But with an overflowing flood, he will make an utter end of its place, and darkness will pursue his enemies. So up in verse 7 here, it says, He knows those who trust in him. So we know that God knows our heart. We know that, uh, that occasionally as Christians, we forget that we belong to him, and that he knows our heart, and that he's with us always. That's the promise. Read uh, John chapter 14, uh, Read, read the promises about the Spirit that is with us after we were buried in death with Christ as baptism and received that gift of the Holy Spirit. God is with us always, but sometimes in a moment, uh, perhaps of anger, uh, we forget. And we behave in ways that, uh, that an observer would say, that guy does not believe that God is with him, or he wouldn't behave that way, right? So the Lord is good. He is a refuge. But look at Romans chapter 11, verse 22. We'll go back and forth to Romans some as we discuss Nahum. Romans chapter 11 and verse 22 is a reminder because it says, Therefore consider the goodness and severity of God. On those who fell, severity. But toward you, goodness, if you continue in his goodness, otherwise you will be cut off. So remember the goodness and the severity of God. Because uh, there are even Christians now who want to teach that God is your pal. Uh, that God is, uh, 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 that you have this uh, uh, very informal uh, relationship with God like a bestie uh, or uh, a Facebook friend or something. I don't know, you know. But uh, when we come back next week, we're going to talk about the awesomeness of God and how that concept of awesome, the word and the concept, uh, is is being misappropriated quite a bit uh, in, in the past couple of generations. But that word belongs to God because he inspires awe. And fear, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. In verses 12, 13, and 15, he's talking to Israel. Because he says here, thus says the Lord, though they are safe, and likewise many, yet in this manner they will be cut down. So he's speaking to the Israelites of the Assyrians. When he passes through, though I have afflicted you, I will afflict you no more. For now I will break off his yoke from you and burst your bonds apart. And then down in 15, he says to them, Behold on the mountains the feet of him who brings good tidings, who proclaims peace. O Judah, keep your appointed feasts, perform your vows, for the wicked one shall no more pass through you. He is utterly cut off and that's chapter one but we're going to talk a little bit more about chapter one next week and the awesomeness of god and how we need to make sure that we understand that that characteristic of god is immutable it doesn't change 
we don't take a break from it and we don't relax from it. Thank you for your attention.